So five months or so ago, um, I think all of our lives, it's fair to say, were turned upside down in a pretty significant way. Um, things that we had taken for granted as a family, things that we did that were just normal were no longer normal and can no longer be done. Our groceries were being delivered by people. We were not going into places. We haven't worshipped in our church in five months or so. Um, and then uh, with the deaths of George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery, um, our, our social fabric was uh, further twisted and kind of um, uh, upended things that I didn't know how to uh, process, how to sit with, how to pray through, how to love uh, through. Uh, so things have been, have been um, unprecedented, if you will, and they're still that way. I mean, the fact that we're sitting out here, that you're all wearing masks, um, we're singing and praising and doing chapel outside instead of inside the chapel. Um, but uh, we need comfort, and the scriptures tell us that there is comfort. But comfort's a very interesting thing because there are two different kinds of comfort. Um, there's a worldly comfort, and that's the comfort that I think most of us usually sort of by default um, seek and desire, at least on a heart level. And that comfort, that worldly comfort, is the ability to avoid trial that comes in a fallen world. So think about that for just a sec. A worldly comfort is when we have the ability to avoid suffering that is a natural part of being in a fallen world. So when things disrupt, disrupt that comfort, it feels like suffering. But godly comfort is a whole different animal. Godly comfort, biblical comfort, is peace that comes from God in the midst of trial brought about by living in a fallen world. So it's not the avoidance of the suffering or the trial. Instead, it's the peace that comes from God in the midst of it. The first one, the worldly comfort, very quickly and very easily becomes an idol in our hearts. The second one, the biblical comfort, peace in the midst of trial, that is a, is a sweet gift from God. Um, <clears throat> we're going to look at a passage in the book of 2 Corinthians where Paul is writing um, to a church that desperately needs comfort. It's the second letter that he's written to the Corinthian church. Uh, the first one, if you guys recall or maybe you knew or haven't known, but the first letter that he wrote to them was because there were some serious issues in the church. Um, they were condoning incest. They were doubting the resurrection uh, from the dead. Um, they were taking brothers and sisters to court over minor, minor squabbles. Um, they, they were disorderly when it came to their worship. Um, they were messed up when they were coming to the Lord's table. So Paul writes this pretty strong rebuking letter, and, and the Corinthians take it, and they repent. But in the midst of that repentance and kind of ashes of that, these false teachers move into the church. And these false teachers came in, and they were attacking Paul specifically. They were attacking his integrity, his character, his, his right to preach. They were even claiming that he was lining his own pockets with money that the Corinthians were, were collecting for the poor in Jerusalem. Um, so there, there's this great kind of turmoil and upheaval happening. It was hard to be a Christian in Corinth. So Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians and to all of the folks in the province of Achaia. So these are people that are spread out. And in the letter, we get the feel that there are a number of people that Paul is writing to who weren't able to gather with others in congregational worship. They were kind of out and separated and not able to gather with brothers and sisters. And the people 
in a lot of ways, there, there are these delicious parallels between what's going on in Corinth and what's going on with us. There's great upheaval. It's hard to be a Christian in Corinth. They're going through real struggles, and they need real comfort. And that's what Paul is going to begin his letter with. So as he starts in 2 Corinthians 1, here's what he says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He starts with comfort, something that they need desperately and that Paul understands deeply. Comfort or peace in the midst of trials because it has been hard to follow Jesus in their church. And Paul knows a thing or two about comfort. He knows what it's like to be stoned. He knows what it's like to be tortured. He knows what it's like to be beaten and run out of a city. He knows what it means to suffer. And he also knows what comfort is. So he says, grace and peace to you, and blessed be our God, who's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He's telling them that comfort is real, that it's available, that it can actually be theirs in the midst of what they are going through. And there is only one source of that comfort. You cannot find it in yourself. You can't drudge it up out of the strength of your heart. You can't find it around you. You can't find it in the peace of nature. The only place that comfort will come is through God the Father. The Father who's adopted them, who's claimed them, called them children, sent his son to die for them. The only means of peace when the world is turned upside down is the Father. And Paul goes on. He is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our affliction. He's the only source of comfort, and the comfort that he provides is for every single possible affliction that we could know. It covers everything. There is nothing outside the scope of God's gift of peace and God's gift of comfort. And then Paul begins to open them to the heart and the purpose of God's comfort because there is a purpose, and it's a beautiful, wide-ranging purpose. This God of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort of God, the comfort and peace that God offers us is not simply a restoration to good times. So if we're in the midst of a trial, if we're struggling, if we're suffering, and we are thinking about the comfort of God and praying that God will comfort us, we're not simply asking that he will return us to good times. That's not what the comfort of God is. Instead, he comforts us in our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who mourn in any affliction. It's not a restoration. It's instead an equipping to serve others who are suffering. God comforts us so that we can comfort others. That is the purpose of God extending peace in the midst of trial to us so that we can do the same in extending it to those who are suffering. The comfort that we have from God is able to reach across every circumstance and into every heart. Listen to what he says. We are able to comfort those who are in any affliction. The comfort of God that he gives us is literally able to cross any relationship 
any circumstance and reach in and minister to those who are hurting with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. That is the purpose. He comforts us so that we can comfort others. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So here's what Paul is saying. It's very practical and it's very simple. Living in this world, we will experience the sufferings of Christ. And when we talk about that, I think we, we have a tendency to think um, uh, cross. We, we think the Son of God taking the sin of man upon himself. The sufferings of Christ, that's, that was the apex. That was the penultimate. But the sufferings of Christ were the sufferings that he experienced as a result of being in a fallen world. The sufferings that we experience every day as a result of living in a fallen world. Jesus experienced the most of it, the most heinous sin ever committed, the, the, the most horrible expression of that suffering and sin on the cross. But we share in his sufferings when we suffer, when we experience trials and struggles that come from living in a fallen world. So he says, living in the world, we will experience the sufferings of Christ, these sufferings that result from living in a fallen world. Sin is still here, it lives and it feeds and it wreaks destruction. But the truth, that truth is overwhelming. It's more than we can bear. But we have comfort. And the only comfort is the Father who loves us. In grace, he extends that comfort to us. But it comes not so that it can end with us. So think about that. God comforts you not so that you will feel better. God comforts you so that you can extend comfort to others. He equips us so that we can minister to our brothers and sisters. He shares his peace with us. And with that peace comes a call, an invitation to engage in his work of caring for other people. And while the suffering that we experience will be abundant, the comfort that we have will always be more abundant. So no matter how grave the suffering is, the comfort that comes from God is always more abundant than the suffering. Now, we'll talk about the, the truth and the reality of that in just a minute. But that's a biblical truth and one we need to hear and hold on to. There is no suffering for which the comfort of God is not greater. Uh, the comfort of Christ is more abundant because Jesus has conquered sin and death. He's the decisive victor in the battle of good and evil. He's a healer, redeemer. He experienced the worst and knows and extends perfect peace to deal with it. And how do we know this peace? Like, it sounds good, right? But it's not a platitude. This is the truth of God. How do we know this peace? How do we know this comfort? Here's how. We know it by knowing his promises, both future and present, and knowing his trustworthiness. And here's what I mean by that. We have to understand and know God's promises of what is true and what is real and what is coming and what is. We need to know his promises about the future. We need to know that there will come a day where there's no more sickness or death. There's no more, no more tears, no more sorrow, where sin is done away with, where life is lived in the presence of God and this fallen, broken, sinful world has been redeemed and made new. We also need to know the present promises. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am your way 
and your truth and your life. I hold you in the palm of my hand and will never lose one of my children. We need to know those promises. We need to sit in those promises. We also need to know God's trustworthiness. If someone's made a promise and you don't know for sure that they'll keep it, it's not much of a promise. But we know God's trustworthiness by looking back through all of salvation history from the very beginning of time where God has been faithful to fulfill his promises always and ever, both in history and we need to look in our lives at God's faithfulness in fulfilling his promises. These things are confirmed to us not simply by head knowledge but by the indwelling power of God's Holy Spirit. We dwell on those and know those promises. We know them and the Spirit of God confirms them in our hearts and in our souls. Now, I want to say just one quick word about this. Um, it's very easy for us, I think, as Christians to, when I say know the promises and sit in the promises, that we think what we need to do is know them in our heads, that we need to recall them and be able to say what they are. But we need to have and do something that's far more um, alive than that. If I were to ask you um, to, to give me your favorite album or your favorite song of all time, to think of it, right? You can do that. I'm sure every person here could think of a song and say, okay, I know my favorite song. You may know the lyrics to that song. You may know them by heart. You should know them by heart, right? Um, you may know your favorite parts of the song. You may know, thinking about it, what it sounds like. But when you hit play and you walk into the living life of the song and you hear the bass, you hear the beat, the tempo, the, the, the tenor of the voice, you walk into something that's alive. And God's promises are very much like that. We can't simply know them in our head. Like, we can't just be able to say, oh yeah, God promises this and this and this. We need to walk into his word which is living and alive, a song, if you will. And we need to sit in those promises and we need to read those words on the page and allow the Holy Spirit of God to apply them to our hearts and to apply them to our souls, to apply them to our minds. It's not enough to simply know it up here. We have to walk into it and live in it to be reminded of it as God's Holy Spirit speaks it to us. We have to sit in those promises. So the truth of the Christian life is this. If we are afflicted, if we are going through trial, if we are suffering, Paul says this. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. So it looks like this. If we go through trials, if I go through trials, it's for you so that ultimately I can extend the comfort that God gives me in that trial to you. If I am comforted by God, it is for your comfort because I will be able to extend that comfort to you when you are going through trials and struggles and suffering. And then Paul just drops in this beautiful thing, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Look, this, this uh, peace and this comfort, it is effective. It works. The comfort of God is the only thing that can sustain us as we patiently endure the sufferings of the world. Like, look, 
you know it. You know it as well as I do. It is too much. There, there's a, a platitude, right, that I've heard so many times. God will never give you more than you can handle. That's so not biblical. Every single day we have more than we can handle. That is life in a fallen world. More than we can bear. More than we can carry. More than we can handle. But the comfort of God is effective in the patient enduring of suffering. It is the only thing that can persevere us through the trials that we will experience in this world. And we have hope. Paul says our hope for you is firmly grounded. Our hope is solid and right because we know this. We know as much as you are sharers in our sufferings, you are also sharers of our comfort. Because we know that even as you share the sufferings that we will share, you also will have the comfort of Christ. The Christian life in this world is hard. It is a fellowship in Christ's sufferings. Well, that's never happened before. But the fellowship is matched and exceeded by God's fellowship and God's comfort. Um, and, and Jesus knows that comfort in glory. And we know the comfort of God as peace that surpasses understanding. So we live in a hard world. And there's no denying that. And there's no reason we should. But there is comfort. And there is peace. And it all comes from one place, who is our Father. He gives it to us as a gift so that we can do his work with him and share it with others. Um, eight years ago, uh, I resigned from a church in Southern California uh, that I was um, a part of, uh, part of the pastoral team there. And there were some relational issues, and, and I resigned. And I didn't have a job to go to and didn't know where God was going to call us. Um, so there was a time where I was looking to the future and truly just didn't know what was coming. And God was so gracious. He gave, he gave me, he gave our family a degree of peace that we really had no business having. Um, we didn't know what was on the other side of this very large cloud of future. Well, now looking back, I am, I'm able, and God has given me opportunity to talk to people who are in similar circumstances, to give them and share with them the comfort that God gave me in the midst of not knowing what the future held. About four years ago, one of my closest friends, Tim, um, his wife, Kim, was eight months pregnant, and she had um, her heart exploded, and she died in his arms. Um, she died, their baby died, and Tim was left alone. Um, the kind of thing that no one, no one should be okay with, and Tim wasn't. He was devastated and broken, and to this day is absolutely, um, at times, overwhelmed and overcome with grief. He knows the suffering, abundant suffering of Jesus. But in the midst of that, God has given Tim a comfort and a peace that honestly anyone who's not Tim can't understand. And it's Tim's desire in his heart to care for others who have gone through similar loss, to care for people who've lost spouses, to care for people who have lost children. That is the comfort of God. It's not the avoidance of trial and suffering. That's very worldly. But it's comfort in the midst of the worst trial and suffering so that you can push it out and do the work of God with others. 
Look, like Paul told the Corinthians, I want to tell you, you can have peace in the midst of this time. In the midst of the trial, the suffering that you're going through, I know, I know some of what you're going through. We're all experiencing this differently, but I know some of the mental health issues that people are struggling with, the loneliness, the anxiety, some of the crushing depression, what it's like when it pushes you inside into yourself. Um, but you can have peace and you can have comfort in this. Peace in every trial of a fallen world, but you have to know this. It will only come from the Father through Christ. So draw close to him. Sit in his promises, in the song of scripture, and share the comfort that he gives you with one another that you might do the work that he's equipping you to do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, the mystery of suffering and trial is beyond our minds to understand. But I thank you, Lord, that in the midst of it, you offer comfort to us by virtue of the work of your Son, by application of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Help us, Lord, to never forget that you're the only source, the only means, the only way of peace in the midst of trial and suffering that we will experience in this world. Lord, as you pour out your comfort upon us, help us, Lord, uh, by the power of your spirit, by the wisdom that you give us, to extend it to those around us, that we might love our brothers and sisters well, and we might honor and glorify you well. Thank you so much for the privilege of being out here together. Thank you for the, the great blessing of being in your creation, being able to share your word together. Please be with us, Lord, as we go forward today. Guide us and bless us with your peace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.